0: Don't know everything Andy. There's plenty going on right now in the Twilight Zone that we don't know anything about and I think we ought to stay clear.
1: TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air.
0: Thank you, Eric Kramer. TGIF, everybody. I'm Gary Mann. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson. Mitchell, in your ears for the—I <laughs> laugh—in your ears for the hour. Maybe not all of those listening in have, technically speaking, ears, but we'll get into that in a few minutes. <laughs> First, we must say hello to our buddy, bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. He's our producer, and congratulations to the Seahawks. Tough win. Ahead the Seahawks were over the Detroit Lions. Then the Lions caught up. Then they go to overtime, and the Seahawks march down the field of victory. Yeah, had nothing to worry about. <sighs> I wasn't yelling or screaming at
2: the TV at all. Nope, totally new. No, I'm sure totally. you were not. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great, uh, great win for sure. We needed it, and we have another great uh, game this weekend against the Carolina Panthers.
0: Ah, against the Panthers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't stay in touch as much as I should. A quick Mariners alert. Are they still in contention?
2: Yes, we are. We are a half game back. I knew you would ask, so I had to look it up just to double check. We had a day off, but we are, uh, yeah, it's a half game back from the Houston Astros in our division. So we're looking, oh, it's it's tight. It's really tight.
0: That's okay. This mm-hmm. is the excitement season. Yeah, Baseball world, you know, you get closer to October. Look out. Well, great. Seattle sports in good stead as we speak. Suzanne, today, and rather unexpectedly, because I didn't know there was a connection here, our good friend Mark Anthony is joining us. We're not going to talk, unless it comes up in conversation, we're not interviewing Mark today for the purpose of mediumship or his fine books, though they will be mentioned. But because of an incident that happened back in October of 1973, it was an incident that fired a shot heard round the world controversy ever since it's in the lore of ufology as the study of unidentified flying objects and particularly abduction experiences is discussed worldwide mark has an interest in it we have an interest in it mark has a leg up on us though because he had a friendship with someone who has just passed And we would like to get the full retrospective from him uh, over the course of this hour. Just uh, when I found out, I called Rocky, uh, Mark's uh, publicist and closest friend. And I said, get me Mark Anthony. (laughs) We have to get him on. Got to do it. And so here we are. Let's
3: give this man his mad props and bring him on air. Mark Anthony, JD, psychic explorer, also known as the psychic lawyer, is a fourth generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. He's an Oxford educated attorney licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. He recently won the OMI Award for Best Psychic Medium. He's also the author of three bestselling books. His latest is The Afterlife Frequency, which has won multiple awards, ranked as one of the top books about faith, and was up for a Pulitzer Prize. Got to ask him about that. His other bestselling books are Never Letting Go and Evidence of Eternity. And he is a VIP executive contributor for Best Holistic Life magazine. Welcome to Manson Mitchell for the 21st time, Mark Anthony.
1: Well, yeah, that's amazing because yesterday was the 21st and it's the spring equinox. So isn't that cool? Thank you for having me back. I absolutely love being on Manson Mitchell and I attribute a lot of the success of my books to being on Manson Mitchell, because every time I have a book coming out, the Manson Mitchell episode is the kickoff episode for all my new books, because you guys are always able to get to me before anybody else. So I want to thank you, and I want to thank all the listeners for their support. Well, you're quite welcome. Yes,
0: summer is giving way to fall and the air is going to be crisper of course you mark were you were the gentleman that said being a fellow floridian you said we only have two seasons here hot and hotter (laughs) so (laughs) although that the old farmers almanac which has about an 80 percent accuracy rate says that in the southeast and florida this winter it's going to be milder and that means cooler and wetter so uh, with the drought of rain that florida has experienced this year that maybe that's going to be made up for in wintertime.
1: I, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I'm just hoping that we are all spared any hurricanes uh, headed this way. And, um, you know, to everybody um, that things are changing in the world. And they're not just changing with our weather. They're also changing in our understanding of UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. And I'm so glad that you guys asked me to be on the show today because I want to talk about um, a man that I, I got a chance to interview twice and who I came to, to consider a friend, and that's Calvin Parker. Calvin Parker,
0: a gentleman who was known for two major things in his life, one more public than the other. The lesser known was his Christian commitment. He was a religious man in the traditional sense, and the other, which just blew up around the world, and it is still discussed in controversial terms today. And when you talk about UFOs and UAPs and abductions, no less, of course, it's controversial. May always be, who knows, But uh, until there's some definitive answer, but that eludes us to this date. Calvin Parker and his friend Charlie Hickson, many years his senior, were out fishing one night. And the way I'd like to do this, Mark, is to have you tell the story as it was related to you and with your personal reflections, as we remember Calvin Parker, who passed away quite recently, actually. But please, let's set the table by having you, Mark, describe to us what happened to Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson in Pascagoula, Mississippi, in back in October October 11, 1973. What happened that night
1: all those years ago? Well, actually it was in the afternoon. And uh Calvin told me, <clears throat> excuse me. I I had the honor of interviewing Calvin twice for a podcast that that I was working on and we had a number of conversations and he told me he was he was working with like you said Charlie Hickson Uh, He and Charles Hickson was 42, Calvin was 19 years old, and Calvin was um, a good old boy from Mississippi, and he said that, you know, we were a couple couple good old boys, and we decided to go fishing, and so they selected a spot that was along um, a dock in a relatively secluded area, like you indicated, at Pascagoula, Mississippi, and it's fascinating, because this was 50 years ago. It was October 11th. And Calvin said that he and Charlie, he said, all of a sudden, they saw this strange metallic object come out of the sky. He said it was big, but it wasn't huge. It was maybe about 12 foot tall, maybe about 30 feet or so wide. And he said they were were astonished and scared. And he goes, we wanted to run, but we couldn't because this bright light hit them. And he said, the, the light, he said, like I could move my head, but I couldn't move my body. Then he said, these two large, he said, really grotesque looking things came out of it. He said, they look like robots and they hovered over and one grabbed him and one grabbed Charlie Hickson. He said, and then they took us into this craft. What's really fascinating, Gary, is of course a lot of people are negating, oh, that didn't happen, except for the fact that this is Pascagoula, Mississippi. This is not exactly the go-to destination for pretty much anybody. And that day, the sheriff's department was overwhelmed with phone calls of people reporting a flying saucer, a UFO, a strange thing in the sky. So the police were flooded with this. Calvin said, that the robotic creatures they they or, or entities, they took him. He said, I don't know what happened to Charlie. They took him somewhere else, but they, he said that they laid me on a table. And I said, well, what kind of table? He says, well, it, it looked like it was on, on an angle. It, it was like on a 45-degree angle. And um, he said then the robotic thing went up against the wall and looked like it deactivated. Then he said the most beautiful woman he ever saw walked up to him. And he said that, he goes, and and the way he talked is, Mark, if I'd been at a bar and I didn't have a fiance, I would have talked to this lady. He said she was just absolutely beautiful, but there was something very strange because she was communicating um, to something or somebody else within this craft. He said it sounded like, like a bullfrog. It was these deep type of, of grunts. He said it sounded like either a bullfrog or when alligators are, are doing the, the mating call. He said he was terrified. And then this device came out of the ceiling. It was like this um, box-shaped device. And it, um, it. he said he heard clicks coming out of it. And he said that um, it, it, it was, he said, I felt like a lab rat. Like I was being scanned. Maybe they were x-raying me. He said they were also um, putting probes into his body. And I said, Calvin, none of my female listeners are going to forgive me if I don't ask you. Were you fully clothed? He said, yes. They never took the clothes off of me. Okay. And he said there was something strange, though, about this woman, because the way she moved, he said, I didn't quite think that she was human. He said it didn't didn't quite seem real. And then afterwards, he said that um, he was so nervous, they appeared to have injected him with something. And he said he got much more relaxed then. And the next thing he knew, he and Charles were being dumped back onto the dock by these robotic creatures, these things. They hovered back over to the craft and it zoomed back up into the sky. And with that happening, What
0: was the immediate aftermath? I mean, my understanding is that they were released there, and perhaps it was Charlie Hickson who had the telepathic thought as though it were communicated to him, we are peaceful, we mean you no harm. So the lab rat analogy sort of makes sense because we're not out to hurt you, but we want knowledge.
1: Well, yeah, and I I want to get to that in a bit um, because Calvin, well, let's talk about it now. Calvin said he never felt that that they they meant to hurt him but there's a lot more to the story i want to get to the first because this was not the first time calvin was abducted by them and news to me when i found that out upon his passing i thought i've got to ask mark about that i thought it was a one and
0: off so to speak
1: oh yeah we're going to get to that but i want to take this one step at a time he said that he and charlie he said we were Shocked. We were terrified, and even though they they communicated peaceful intentions, you know, when I was talking to Calvin, and it's it is very clear to me that he was so traumatized that both he and Charlie Hickson were suffering from post traumatic stress disorder PTSD, um, and everybody to some extent has PTSD. If you watch or see a loved one die, if something terrible happens to you. Um, it doesn't always have to be soldiers in combat. All of us suffer varying degrees of PTSD. And what he went through psychologically was very similar to what a rape victim goes through, being taken against his will, being subjected to all t- types of examination in an, in a, literally an alien environment. He said it was absolutely terrifying. And he said, we can't tell anybody about this. And Charlie Hickson said, we're not telling anybody about this. But then Charlie Hickson went public with it. He ended up on the Johnny Carson show. He was on TV. It hit world news. And the thing is, uh, Gary and Suzanne, Calvin said, you know, Mark, you don't get rich telling people that you've been abducted by aliens. He said, <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, he goes, my life just, it was horrible. He said, my, my family... Um, Didn't know what to think of me. He was ostracized in in his community. There were the death threats. And and of course, people were saying he was a charlatan and this was a hoax and they were just doing this for attention. And the times that, that I talked to Calvin, this man was not a deceitful person. This was a very truthful person. This was a man with a very good heart. I'm a medium. I'm a lawyer. I know when people are lying to me. This man was hundred percent truthful. And he Calvin tried to shy away from the limelight, but you know the reporters, the paparazzi, they were all over him. Charlie Hickson was eating it all up, but that caused a big tension between the two of them, and they essentially had a falling out. Now, Calvin is unique among alien abductees, and the reason that he is considered the most credible abductee on record, He was questioned by the local police, then he was questioned by the FBI, then he was subjected to lie detector polygraph tests, several of them, over over the last five decades. He underwent hypnotherapy. He was subjected to, they used it back in the day, sodium pentothal, uh, so-called truth serum. In every single one of the interrogations, the sodium pentothal, the lie detector, the hypnotherapy his story checked out as 100% truthful. They did not pick up any deceit, any lies. He said, this happened to me. And he said it was traumatic. It was horrible. Um, he said it, he, he was absolutely terrified. And he said, obviously, it was a life-changing event. And then, of course, uh, he became the focal point of a lot of uh, not only media attention, but also organizations uh, that believe in UFOs, particularly MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. And so it just made his life. He said, Mark, he goes, I was just a simple redneck in Pascagoula, Mississippi, and the last thing I wanted to know, that wanted to, to be known for, was being world famous for being abducted by aliens. And so he was very, very distraught by what he went through. And then he opened up to me, and I believe this may have been in his second book, um, or he was working on it. Plus, there was interest in him um, in a a movie being made about his life. He said uh, 20 years later, I believe it was 1993, he was by himself in his truck, and he says, and there it was again. He said the light hit him in his truck, and he goes, and those damn robotic things came and got me, and they took me back on board that thing. And he said, and there was the beautiful woman again. He said, except this time, he said, I fought back and I punched her as hard as I could. And he said, when he hit her, it appeared that it was some type of projection. I would would venture to say like a holographic projection over her. And what he saw was this reptile like creature he said it was horrifying. she looked like some type of like alligator type of creature and when he hit her, he said the robotic things grabbed him, and they were real rough with him and he said then and and he said this time they weren't so gentle and then once again they they um um injected him with with something that that uh relaxed him, paralyzed him. And then the next thing he knew he was back in his truck. But he also told me after that, his health started to decline. And when I got to speak to him, that was back in at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, It was back in 2020. And he told me that um, he'd been battling cancer for some time. And that's what he passed from. So I said, do you think they did something to you? And he goes, well, yes. And he feels this was his, his, you know, and we, because not only did I interview him, Gary and Suzanne, but I used to call him because I, you know, he felt comfortable talking to me and I genuinely liked Calvin. He was a nice guy. And to me, it was an honor to speak to somebody who'd been through something like this, uh, you know, cause people say, well, Mark, how can you believe that? Well, I communicate with spirits and it's been, I do this on a daily basis. I've been tested in laboratories. I've had probes and uh, electrodes hooked up to my head while my um, the uh, electrical activity in my brain is being monitored while I'm communicating with spirits. Um, so I've undergone all sorts of testing because of what I tell people I am capable of doing. And here's a guy against his will who was forcibly taken and then subjected to all these tests. And he said, Mark, I have a feeling that, that they are peaceful, that maybe their purpose is to stop us from destroying ourselves. He said, I got that feeling from them. However, when he fought back and hit them, hit hit the, the female, he said, you know, he goes, I was angry. I didn't want them doing this to me, but... But that is, he goes, but he said, I had to fight back. But he does feel that perhaps they, in an act of retribution, injected him with more than just a sedative. Now, this is strictly conjecture. We will never know if, if that's how he came down with cancer. But what he told me is that is what he suspected
3: what I find so interesting is this second abduction because when we have talked to others who have um, said that they have been abducted, it's interesting that it it can happen more than once, as though they are following uh, either a person or a family, and and sometimes it's more than one person in a family that they're following and. I don't know why, you know, why would somebody be abducted twice? Why would they say, and and how could they find him? I mean, are they going to find him? Because they did put some kind of tracking device in him. How do they know where he is?
1: I'm sure we've all seen Nat Geo, Smithsonian, Discovery Channel, when biologists go out in the wilderness and they shoot a grizzly bear with um, a sedative And then they go and take samples and they tag it. Uh, Also, that has been done with sharks, with, with all types of birds. And it's interesting when you start talking to the abductees and see that what's happening to them is what humans are doing to what we consider to be a lesser form of life. Now, in my work as a psychic medium, I have conducted readings for a number of people who claim to have been abductees. And that includes Calvin Parker. It was very interesting because Charles Hickson came through to apologize in addition to a number of, of other spirits. Um, I also did a reading on Nancy Tremaine. Nancy Tremaine is also considered one of the most credible abductees on record. And she said her her story, she was a little girl in Michigan in the early 1960s and in front of the entire neighborhood. A similar device came down. She was hit with the white light, taken aboard this thing. And she too said the most handsome man she'd ever seen was there. And she'd been abducted a number of times. And she said one time, or on more than one occasion, she saw the man moving around and described like a projection on top of him, but and when she saw a reptile reptile type creature underneath it. And mm. Then I was at an event. I was doing a spirit communication event uh, in Denver, and I was drawn to this young man. And he kind of looked like uh, Tom Cruise from the first Top Gun. Okay, he was just that perfect male specimen, perfect jawline, crystal blue eyes. He was just like super buff. I mean, if if you looked in a textbook of perfect male uh, human specimen, this was him. And so his grandfather's spirit came through. And then his grandfather said, it is the greys. The greys are coming for you. Oh, my God. This, this young man burst into tears, started trembling. And he said, they keep coming for me. They come for me. His grandfather's spirit came through and said that um, it was because of how he metabolized protein. And that's why they're interested in him. And his grandfather said, you need to change your eating habits. Like, in other words, less protein, make yourself less interesting to them. So number one, conducting spirit communication for anybody is is, um, fascinating and, and highly unusual. But in every time I've done a reading for an abductee, the spirits of their loved ones come through and acknowledge the abduction and they all say that there is a biological process about you that makes you interesting. So, in a, a, a couple years after that, I was talking to Chris DePerno, and Chris DePerno is with MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. He used to be a police investigator, very credible guy, and his job with MUFON is to debrief. Abductees, And he said, look, you know, there's people that make stuff up, he goes, and then there's the other cases that seem very, very credible. And I was telling him about Calvin Parker, and then I I mentioned about the young man with the protein. And he said, what did you say? I said, yeah, he said about the protein. He goes, oh, my God, oh, my God. He goes, Mark, he said every one of the abductees after the experience, they crave protein on a scale, like unbelievable. And he goes, and it doesn't just end after the abduction. It's a lifetime thing. He said, we had one guy, one time he ripped open a package of of hot dogs and just ate them raw in front of us. He said he couldn't get enough protein. He said, there's something, he goes, I I can't believe you're correlating this. And the way you're correlating it is, is through mediumship. So then I called Calvin. I said, Calvin, what's with, do you crave protein? I didn't, I didn't give him the background. He goes, oh my God, Mark, I can't get enough of it. He goes, hamburgers, hot dogs, chicken, ribs. He goes, eggs. He goes, I just can't get enough protein. So then I got back with Chris DiPerno, and he said that there appears to be genetic markers That they're looking for. And now it gets even more interesting. I was doing a reading probably about a year, year and a half ago for this woman and her son and her her loved ones were coming through. And then one of her spirits came through and said, the UFO, you were close, but not what they were looking for. Well, this mother and son go, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. I go, what? what?" They said, this is so weird. But recently she said, my son and I were together and we saw this metallic object come out of the sky and it hit us with this white light and then it left. And the message from her spirits was you were close, but not exactly what they were looking for. Now, I know how this must sound to people who who are skeptical but i approach mediumship i approach paranormal investigations i approach the study of of ufos through the scientific method it has to be approached objectively you don't jump to conclusions but when i start seeing similar facts similar evidence from several different sources People who do not know each other, people that have nothing in common, years apart, and the data starts correlating. This is a fascinating piece of a much larger
0: puzzle. A much larger puzzle. One could say cosmic in its dimensions. We're talking with our friend Mark Anthony about the very strange and controversial case from back in 1973, the Pascagoula UFO abduction case, Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson, now both, sadly, no longer with us in the body, but their memories live on. And where does all of it go? It's just amazing stuff. There are other things to be said about this, and we're going to do the marketing piece because you want to be in touch with Mark Anthony. Of course you do. Suzanne will handle that on the other side of a break. Glad you tuned in, ladies and gentlemen. Always glad to have you with us. We are Manson Mitchell, and we will be right back.
1: Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to ManceAndMitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Manson and Mitchell show page at Facebook.com slash If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance mitchell.
0: on friday manson mitchell welcomed mark anthony with his recollections of meeting calvin parker one of two abductees in the famous pascagoula mississippi ufo case of 1973.
3: on saturday matthew dix author of someday is today inspires us on how to make the most of our time and achieve big dreams, bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150.
0: Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day.
3: Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony, very well known as the psychic lawyer, the psychic explorer but today we're talking ufos and we're getting a whole different take on another interest of mark's mark uh i have read all of your books and i i love all of them and especially the afterlife frequency your most Thank recent you. book i think i think it is so easy to understand and i and i think it really it, it really explains so much but um tell us, uh, if people would like to get your books or get connected with you, what are some of the ways in which that they can do that?
1: Certainly. Um, please visit my website, which is afterlifefrequency.com, just like my latest book, The Afterlife Frequency. And I invite everyone to sign up for my newsletter. You can find out about scheduling a reading with me. Also, you can find out about subscribing to Best Holistic Life magazine. I'm an executive VIP contributor. I write every month for Best Holistic Life, and I've got a show every Thursday um, on uh, the Transformation Network, The Psychic and the Doc. And you can find out about all of that at afterlifefrequency.com. Thank you. <clears throat> I'd like to get
0: back to the immediate aftermath of this event, Mark. In my reading of the history of this remarkable abduction case, I'm very curious to know how relations were in Pascagoula and environs between Calvin Parker and Charlie Hickson on the one hand, and the authorities because they wanted to tell their story right afterward. They needed to get the story out. They contacted a military base, Air Force base, and were told, we do not handle those reports. You need to contact law enforcement. So ultimately they did. And when they were, you know, I think it went on for hours, they were yeah. interviewed, interrogated, and the sheriff had a clever idea. Maybe he figured, and this is like shades of Dukes of Hazard, but nevertheless, he might've figured, these good old boys went out, you know, and they had themselves a few and they're fishing. They're trying to put one over on us. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll go ahead and talk to them. And then we're going to set up a tape recorder and we'll leave them alone. You boys just relax there. And I'm just riffing here and uh, we'll come back in a little bit. So, well, you just take it easy. And they all left the room. They left Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker alone. But there was uh, probably a, a drawer, a jar so they could get clear sound on this running tape. And the gentlemen were not aware that they were being recorded. When they played it back without the Parker and Hickson there, the sheriff and anyone else who was privy to it seemed to be amazed at what they heard. Because instead of something like "Okay, when they come back there, I'll say that they had a ten-foot-tall robot and then and they wanted to give us a ride to Mars or anything like that," you know, you know, conspiratorially, no, not at all. What they heard, among other things, and there was quite a bit of material, was Calvin Parker apologizing to Charles Hickson for fainting. Charles Hickson was paralyzed, but he was awake or as much as one could be in an altered state when he was taken aboard the craft. Calvin Parker apparently didn't remember much of that because he lost consciousness. He fainted and he felt weak, cowardly, and he apologized to his friend for fainting and Uh, The response was something on the order. This is from Charles Hickson. I like to never got you straightened out back there. And then as one reporter who later did a story on it was allowed to hear the tape recording uh, divulged, she said it was almost like they were talking to each other. And then at one point they began to diverge in their comments, like each man was trying to cope with this on his own. And it was both, both of them were recorded on tape, but suddenly it's like they weren't talking to each other anymore. They were trying to gather their thoughts. And it was just a stunning artifact of this incident. And I thought, man, would I love to get my hands on that tape or at least a transcript?
1: Oh, I I couldn't agree more. And that's the thing. Initially, right after it happened, they said, don't tell anyone, no one's going to believe us. But you also have to realize they were most likely in shock I mean, how could you possibly process this? These are two guys who, who were not into flying saucers and UFOs. I mean, maybe they'd seen an episode of Star Trek once. But then all of a sudden, they are subjected to something that you can't even possibly relate to, much less know how to explain to anybody. And this was in such a, a, a an isolated and remote place. And this also happened back in the 70s, and, you know, mediumship was still looked at as as fringe, uh, very bizarre type of thing, and even though a lot of people have always believed in it, and UFOs, aliens were looked at as just something out of a science fiction movie, Um, and at the time, any pilot... Any any commercial airlines pilot who reported seeing a UFO immediately lost their uh, license. FAA would take their license. And there was a stigma against it in the um, U.S. military as well. Well, things have changed over time. And I'm very honored to to know Colonel Dr. John Alexander. And I met him um, through the International Association for Near-Death Studies because he's a near-death experiencer but he was also special forces in Vietnam, and he got his PhD, and he was also head of the US Army's UFO project back in the 1970s when it was top secret. Okay, so the US military has been observing these things for years. And other sources I've talked to They've described several different alien species coming to Earth. It's not just these reptilians. They talk about the grays and then they talk about, you know, the the guys with the big, you know, bulbous heads and the, the big eyes. And there's there's um, I've heard uh, upwards of five different species have been have been identified. And Dr. Alexander said that some of them aren't real friendly. He said they all appear to have different motivations, he said, but. It also appears that if they had wanted to conquer us, there'd be no problem. I mean, if they can get here from wherever they are. And he also brought up a very fascinating thing, and we'll get back, but, but I think it's, it's interesting to discuss this. He said that a UFO is not a tin can flying through space for thousands of years. According to Einstein's theory of relativity, nothing can go faster than the speed of light. So where are these aliens coming from? Let's say they come to us from the closest, a planet around the closest star, which is Alpha Centauri. Alpha Centauri is four light years away. A light year is the distance it takes light to travel in a year. Light travels at 186,282 miles per second. All right, when you start doing the math, That's trillions of miles per year. So let's just say that would be maybe 20 trillion miles. Okay, even if there was a vehicle that could travel at the speed of light, it would still take four years one way. And then what if it was an Alpha Centauri? Maybe there's no life-sustaining planets there. Maybe they came from a thousand light years away. So doing the math's even larger. Well, a few years ago, a Mexican scientist, his last name was Alcubera, Professor Alcubera, developed and introduced what he called the Alcubera metric. And he said that if a spacecraft could have an energy field generated around it of sufficient magnitude, it would cause a fold in the space-time continuum, a.k.a. warp drive. All right, we've all heard that from Star Star Trek, but it's based on sound scientific principles. And what the Alcubera effect means is you're not exceeding the the speed of light, but what you're doing is because of the warp bubble, creating a fold in space-time so that you quantum leap from one space-time coordinate to another within moments. So you're not violating the theory of relativity, you're merely causing a fold in space-time. And... Legitimate physicists worldwide have said this is possible, but humanity simply does not have the technology to do this yet. So if these beings meant us harm, I'm sure they would have done it by now. They must have some other agenda. Calvin thinks, or or what Calvin told me, is he believed that they were here to help us. So maybe they're learning about our species, maybe they're trying to understand us, or maybe they are taking protein from us to do some type of human-alien hybridization so that they can plant their their people among us. And there's a number of abductees. Um, I remember the Fire in the Sky book and and other um, people have said that, oh, aliens are already here and they're among us. Once again, I know this sounds way out there, but hey, this is Manson Mitchell and, you know, we we you know, speaking yeah, of way out there, there are no limitations here because this is an open open forum. And the thing is, now in in 2022 and 2023 before the United States Congress, which in my opinion used to be more, you know, have more validity than it does recently, um, but I digress. But but um leaving all all uh, uh, sarcasm aside, there's hearings in front of the United States Congress on UFOs. And the 2022 hearings were really fascinating. Um, but then 2023, July 26, David Grush, a former intelligence officer in the Air Force and National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, appeared before a House Oversight Committee. And he said that the United States government has recovered from a crash site debris, including non um, um, non human biologics. So, let's let's go through the uh, government speak. There, he's saying the U.S. government's recovered the, um, a crashed UFO and the bodies of the inhabitants of that then there were a number of f-18 pilots all right these guys are top gun pilots these are the best of the best these are the most credible and serious guys you're ever going to meet and they have reported they said seeing ufos is not that uncommon and we've encountered things that can maneuver at speeds that go from zero to hypersonic speeds literally do rings around us he said we don't we we can't even come close to doing that now I love it when critics say, well, it must be the Russians or the Chinese. Look, the Russians can't even beat the Ukrainians. Do you really think they've got something that can do rings around one of our F 18 Top Gun fighter pilots? No, they don't. So, and now, now these UAPs, these unidentified aerial phenomena, because that's the current name for a UFO, an identified flying object, there's reports of them going. From the sky into the water and according to the navy they've spotted things that move at speeds underwater that that are unexplainable so and whoever, then exit again and take off at unexplainable speeds exactly and they can maneuver in ways that that we simply can't so now we're having credible witnesses top gun pilots um former uh intelligence officers people high up in the government explaining that these things are 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 real now I've got a personal story I'd like to share um my father who who passed a, a couple years back he had been in the Navy and when he, he was a, a seal and he was an aerospace engineer and I remember he told me and we had this discussion on on more than one 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 occasions. He said when he was a young engineer, it was in there um, probably the mid nineteen fifties. My parents had me later in life, so I, I came along uh, quite a bit later. But you know, uh, Dad told me that he was at a laboratory in California, and they walked. He walked into a room, and my dad had a top secret security clearance. In fact, his security clearance was so high he could go to the levels beneath the Pentagon. That that's that's how trustworthy he was. And he said that he was in a laboratory, and the, the in the lab, they were growing silicon chips. And he said, how in the world did we ever come up with that, growing silicon chips? Because his dad explained, at the time, the most sophisticated electronic device was a transistor. But this was light years ahead of that. And he said the vice president that he was with said, well, since you've got the clearance, he said, we recovered something a few years back in New Mexico. And it gave us ideas. And that's all you need to know. Now, what happened in the late 1940s in New Mexico? Oh, yeah, the Roswell incident. And he he pressed uh, the VP a bit further. He goes, all right, here's what happened. He goes, something crashed. And he said the government covered it up, but they brought in Texas Instrument. They brought in like Boeing, uh, Martin, Marietta, he brought in all the electronics firms, he said, and we found things and it gave us ideas. And my father explained that going from a transistor to a silicon chip was the greatest leap forward in electronics technology since the invention of the light bulb. And he says, and Mark, it's even more significant than the invention of the light bulb jumping from a transistor to a silicon chip. So my father, who who had that top secret clearance, firmly believed that the Roswell incident was real, alien bodies, alien technology was recovered, we reverse engineered, we got this, and that that was just one of many incidents which have been reported worldwide. And I feel very honored to have, to have spoken and gotten to know Calvin Parker, who, through no fault or, or no no doing of his own, actually came into direct contact with species from another world, another dimension. You know, Mark, it makes me curious.
0: There no, the critics have brought up any sort as skeptics will do, skeptics and debunkers, they're uh, Charlie Hickson might've had a nip or two. I don't know if Calvin Parker was a drinker or not, but that night, I mean, could it have been alcohol? Did they have some kind of strange dream, like a waking dream experience, et cetera, et cetera. Even the uh, lie detector test supposedly was not done by someone who was fully certified still in the student process, perhaps. Always something to bring up. You're always going to have the skeptics, But then when you take a man of faith like Calvin Parker, who took his Christianity very seriously, did it give him comfort to think perhaps in the broadest possible perspective that he was allowed through God's grace to have an experience, a view into the possibilities of sentient life in the universe and allowed to see something other than the human in the field of intelligence that too represents God's creation? Did that help give him any comfort?
1: We never spoke directly about that, but I always got the sense that while Calvin didn't enjoy any of these experiences, he said that we also shouldn't be afraid of them. He said, I don't believe that they are here to harm us. He said they're here investigating. They're here understanding. And he was a firm believer. He said the impression that he got, he said, I think they may be here. To stop us from destroying ourselves, and I know that that sounds all very much like the day that the Earth stood still and some of these, you know, very idealistic uh, science fiction themes. But yeah, and then other people say, well, why don't why doesn't the government just let us know? And the the cover story is always there would be worldwide panic. But there may be another reason why these aliens don't want to have direct contact with us. If they've been studying us, which appears to be for for quite some time, hundreds, maybe thousands of years, possibly even longer, what would they think of us? We're an incredibly violent species. We deforest the planet. We wage war on each other. Anytime there's new technology, we immediately figure a way to weaponize it. I mean, think about when the Internet came. Within days, pornography and all sorts of other, you know, ways to scam people were suddenly on the Internet. So if they gave us some sophisticated technology, what do you think humans are going to do with it? You know, there'd be the altruistic ones. Oh, we can use this for peace and love and understanding. But then again, for every Mohandas K. Gandhi, there's 1,000 Vladimir Putins. And so humans are not necessarily the safest bet for an advanced civilization. I would imagine they probably look at us like a bunch of squirrel monkeys running around a museum with hammers. Um, You know, we have this beautiful, pristine world that can support diverse forms of life. And yet we poison it, we pollute it, and we wage unending war against each other. So they may be studying us Perhaps they're as high above us on the evolutionary scale as we are above the amoeba. Yeah. And uh, the late great
0: Stanton Friedman did make the point that looking down on Earth or looking at Earth from whatever vantage point, an alien civilization might conclude that there's an awful lot of tribal warfare going on in this world at any given time. So as you say, we've become adept at killing each other. And if you are if you are from another star system, however many light years away,
1: you're going to say, we don't want that in our neighborhood. Well, you know, look at our own history. All right, we got Thanksgiving coming up in a couple months. And when I was a kid, we learned how the friendly pilgrims landed at Plymouth, and the nice Indians came and um, taught them how, you know, Squanto, um came and taught them how to plant corns, beans, and squash, the three sisters together, and they had a happy Thanksgiving and lived for happily ever after. All right. Here's what really happened. Basically, in England, they couldn't wait to get rid of religious fanatics, which the pilgrims were, so they granted them land in the New World and dumped them off in Cape Cod where they were freezing to death. The Native Americans were very well aware that these were invaders and dangerous people, but the the um, local uh, chief of the Wampanoag knew that they also had muskets and cannons, and he wanted that technology to use in his war against a neighboring Native American nation. So that's why he sent Squanto, who had been an English slave, but escaped because Squanto spoke English, but nobody trusted Squanto, and for good reason, because after a couple years, he tried to overthrow the chief that sent him to the Pilgrims. So here we have an alien civilization with superior weapons coming to a less advanced society, and what does the less advanced society want? Those weapons to use against their fellow Native Americans. Now, People can say, well, you're being very facetious. It's all I can say is read the history books and you'll find out that I'm right on point with that. And I would believe that these visitors from other worlds and they are abducting our people for whatever reason. They're conducting some type of research and they're tagging them and they're able to, as Suzanne brilliantly brought up, they're able to locate who they've abducted. Now, maybe it's a device we can detect or maybe it's some genetic marker, but they can find these people because many abductees report multiple abductions. So they're studying us for some reason, but I believe it is not necessarily a violent one. On the other hand, are they the Vulcans or are they the Klingons? And that remains to be seen. (laughs)
0: And will we get a definitive answer in our lifetime? I think the jury's out on that one, Mark. I, I would love to know what the answer is. But whenever some striking new evidence shows up or there's a congressional hearing, it just seems to go nowhere, ultimately. It's like going ever further down that cosmic rabbit hole. I'd love to know, but we don't know what we don't know. Still, we pay attention, including Mark Anthony. Mark, I can't thank you enough for coming on and telling us the story of the Pascagoula incident as experienced by your friend Calvin Parker. God rest his soul, and the same for Mr. Hickson. I hope they find a place of eternal peace and love where everybody
1: gets along. The ultimate revelation. Uh, I I have no doubt of that. And it's been my sense that when Calvin left this world, he was free of all the, the pain and the anguish. And um, for Calvin's family and friends, um, please accept not just my, but I know that uh, Gary and Suzanne and everyone with KKNW are deepest sympathy and condolences. And I think that the bravery that Calvin showed, the love he had for his family, his deep sense of faith, as far as I'm concerned, the world was a better place because Calvin Parker was in it. And that is all we have
0: to say on the subject. Thank you, Mark Anthony. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here on AM 1150, your home for alternative talk in Seattle.